today on the Tearsheet Podcast. And saw a really big opportunity around 2017-18 to sort of bring together distributed computing technology and some new data science techniques to create alternative financial data profiles for individuals, wherein that could be used to assess risk. And Africa has one of the highest densities of mobile money, specifically mm-hmm. Kenya, Nigeria, and Ghana. Um, and that particular data set was really suitable for the models we're building and had a lot of opportunity in green fields for us to uh, provide a good test bed for the technology we're building. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. 2020 was an interesting year for African financial services. We saw Stripe by Nigeria's Paystack, its largest acquisition anywhere, and other firms raised significant amounts of venture capital. Pingme is one of the firms contributing to the next stage of growth on the continent. Brendan Playford is founder and CEO of the firm, which offers a unified financial data API for Africa. As financial services mature, the various platforms, networks, and institutional ecosystems need a way to standardize and share their customers' financial data. Brendan joins us on the podcast to talk about African fintech and what's been happening there of late. We talk about where the opportunities are and where the market may head over the next few years. Lastly, we drill down into Pingme's product offering, strategy, and expansion plans. Brendan Playford is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Hey, Zach. It's uh, great to be with you today. My name is Brendan Playford. I'm the CEO of Pingme. Uh, we've had the company going for around two and a half years um, and creating individual data profiles in sub-Saharan Africa and more broadly now uh, to give people better access to finance and allow financial institutions to assess credit risk uh, more intelligently. So I have a lot of questions, Brandon, and I want to I want to start with like why, like why financial services, why sub-Saharan Africa, like where did the idea come from? Yeah, so um, I was very fortunate in 2007 with a previous uh, company I had in the UK. I got the opportunity to go out to uh, Tanzania and Kenya to um, participate in some community biofuel projects. I was in renewables at the time. Was out there for about five years, met lots of entrepreneurs, ultimately with the financial crisis. Um, a lot of the people I was working with became financially constrained. There was a big devaluation of Kenyan shilling and Tanzanian shilling, which put people in some pretty uncomfortable positions and the community projects we were building ultimately uh, didn't work out because of the crash of crude oil. And while I was there, I would end up lending short time loans to some of the entrepreneurs and business people, business owners I was working with out there or the communities would Mm -hmm. always get paid back and see a really, really positive upside to the financial support or assistance I was able to provide. Um, And then sort of fast forward six years on to 2013, I got into the early blockchain space. I was an early Bitcoin miner and was involved in kind of that first wave of early adopter cryptocurrencies, Ethereum, et cetera. And when I moved to the US, I, uh, from the UK, moved here and realized when I landed on the ground that I had no credit score or credit record. I was effectively a credit invisible individual. Mm Um, and had seen similar problems in, in the countries I worked in. So built up some experience in the Valley in San Francisco working. I was very fortunate working for some great companies and saw a really big opportunity around 2017, 18 to sort of bring together distributed computing technology and some new data science techniques to create alternative financial data profiles for individuals, wherein that could be used to assess risk. And Africa has one of the highest densities of mobile money, specifically Mm -hmm. Kenya, Nigeria, and Ghana. 
Um, and that particular data set was really suitable for the models we're building and had a lot of opportunity in green fields for us to uh, provide a good test bed for the technology we're building. That's a great story. And I love all the different facets of it. Um, you sort of alluded to sort of the, the, the framework that the sub-Saharan African framework of we are in financial services. Can we, can we go over that again and sort of say like, where are we at, at this moment in history in terms of, of how, yeah. how, you know, how money moves and, and where data resides and, and, and let's start with that as we talk about Pygmy. Yeah. So it's really interesting. If you look at sort of the credit invisible space in a macro perspective, there's two and a half billion people globally that are credit invisible in the U S there's 135 million that come into that bracket. Europe, it's a little bit more. Sub-Saharan Africa, around 6% of the population have credit files. So you're left with around 360 million people in Sub-Saharan Africa that actually, no, sorry, it's about 400 million that don't have formal credit files or, or can't access formal credit. So the macro market is really large for this. And specifically in Sub-Saharan Africa, around 2007, a very famous well-known platform called Mpesa launched mm -hmm. in Kenya. Mpesa is technically this mobile money platform. It relies on a channel called USSD, which is an SMS platform to allow individuals almost to text money to each other with feature phones before smartphones were really prevalent. Mm -hmm. And in 2007, Mpesa launched, went from zero to 27 million users in about three or four years. It, at its peak, transacted 80% of Kenya's GDP. And that sort of mobile money platform has grown globally to um, 90 countries, around 270 providers of which MTN, Airtel, uh, Vodacom, uh, and many others have sort of joined uh, M-Pesa in creating uh, SMS-based services. It transacts around a trillion dollars annually and has a billion users. So this mobile money ecosystem has been growing sort of 30 to 35% year over year just sucking in all of the uh, new sort of onboarded customers to the financial system continues to grow apace. And on top of that sort of platform, as it were, we've started to see this huge proliferation of innovative financial products from savings to loans to peer-to-peer uh, -peer wallets and things like that, that is just growing at a crazy rate. And within that space, you've got this huge fragmentation. So on top of mobile money, you have a lot of data being created. That data is often between five or seven accounts on average for an individual. And it's very, very challenging to really get a good deep understanding of what a user's behavior is from a financial perspective when you're looking at data. And what that's done, it's really limited the penetration of more sophisticated financial products beyond payments. And what we're seeing is the requirement to build more value add products on this platform is driving more data-driven insights from like banks, fintechs, microfinance banks, um, et cetera, and some of the bigger mobile money operators. So we found this fit early on where we're able to use user permissioning to rather like what Plaid does, but from different channels to gather together and aggregate financial data into a user profile or financial identity, as it were, uh, and allow that user to share that through our open API with um, uh, with banks, fintechs, or, or other uh financial institutions. So it sounds like there is some type of um, ecosystem built around MPESA and some of the other services that that are, are tapping into that data. Is that correct? Yeah, there are. A lot of it is um, quite verticalized. So mm -hmm. 
you can sort of look at the evolution of data-driven kind of credit in a couple of buckets. You have vertically integrated data providers. This is the likes of uh, Jumo and Software Group. Uh, what they do is they allow M-Pesra or Airtel to do short-term lending to their customers on the mobile money network based on mobile money activity. Uh -huh. You then have new kind of neo-digital lenders like Talent and Branch, which have over the last six years really grown to become pretty much unicorns in the space. Um, and they use alternative data to go B to C with lending. So they provide, I wouldn't always say micro loans, but small to medium sized loans in these markets that are anywhere from a month to three months. Mm -hmm. However, they suffer a very, very high cost of capital. So those were the initial waves of digitization into the space. And then you've got the next sort of wave of developer coming in. And Africa particularly has got the world's largest growing developer ecosystem. And on top of this ecosystem, you're seeing lots of innovative um, products that are really catering to this young millennial uh, and younger audience that in Nigeria, the average age of the population is between 19 and 20, um, with the bulk of it being in that early range. So you're finding that the next wave of affluent uh, upstarts are coming onto these more digital focused platforms and, and it's scaling very quickly. And so what are your challenges in, for Pingme in, as, as you're building out the data ecosystem? Yeah, I think one of the biggest issues we had starting off was that, you know, we have our main core base in San Francisco and, you know, our market's a long way away. And we've overcome that by really identifying good talent in, in the market from, you know, business leaders, sales leaders that have come on, fortunately, through our kind of recent rounds of funding. Um, one of the bigger challenges is the way the data is structured. So what we set out to do early on with Pingme is with our API is to provide a Plaid-like experience with all of the data outputs with a machine learning AI layer of like insights on top of it. So taking the raw transactional data when it's been structured and providing this value add layer of machine learning features, credit features and behavioral characteristics that can just be queried. Essentially, it removes a lot of the heavy lift on the infrastructure build and sort of some of your long tail uh, machine learning feature development that you can have engineers taking up to six months to develop for, for credit models. So we do a lot of that. So those very, like those features can be plugged straight into scorecards. One of the biggest challenges is when you're looking at the three markets we operate in, and we are now expanding into Europe and the US to cater for credit invisible people there. We're starting that, that move in, in Q1 is that the data is completely non-homogeneous. So you're looking at anywhere up to 3,000 to 4,000 data sources with anywhere between four to 5 million data points that all have different structures. And what we, what we do, we have very complex machine learning pipelines for our data that uses a mix of NLP and various other technologies to extract all of the financial information from our data set and then extract behavioral characteristics and it ends up being structured as if you would query a user's bank account through Plaid, but it could be coming from mobile money. It could be coming from an agent network. It could be coming from some SMS data that we scrape from certain markets. So the biggest challenge has been building a platform that scales to the, the volume of data that we have going through it uh, in a way that's sustainable and, and can manage, can manage and, and accommodate the growth we've been seeing with a very, very, very data set. Got it. And, you know, we, we've had Plaid a few times, Finicity, MX on the podcast. Yeah. Um, you know, one issue that, and Yodely InvestNet, one, one issue that comes up 
a lot in the, in their discussions is sort of com, com, uh, consumer permission data and how they're all moving like that every time they words and exit their lips, you know, consumer permissioning is associated with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, how, how do you approach that? And what's, what are your thoughts around consumer permissioning? Yeah. So, you know, my background of being a Bitcoin or blockchain maximalist, which I'll happily yeah. admit to, um, really own, just own my, that. Yeah. That's what's awesome. that? Sorry. Yeah. Just own that. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, really gives me this kind of viewpoint and vantage point over the last eight years where I really believe that uh, data should be self-sovereign. Um, it's one of those kind of tenants whereby we live in a world that's been built around technology that's monetized us as the product, like Google, Facebook. Mm -hmm. And the, the new paradigm in my mind is shifting towards very rapidly uh, you know, the next 10 to 50 years are going to be centered around the user being able to opt out of that system and into a system where they own their own data and they can control or at least understand where it's being used and what it's been used for. And obviously GDPR and other regulations has laid a good regulatory foundation for this, but there's still many markets where, you know, we're a long way behind uh, where GDPR is. So for us, you know, one of our core parts of our platform is to allow, we have a mobile app a little bit like you can think of it a little bit like Klarna. So Klarna does a great job of providing an open banking API for e-commerce and then mm -hmm. funders. But ultimately, the end user can still kind of manage their profile, see what they purchased. That's analogous to what we do. We have our open API that gives the data to the financial institutions. We sell that data to the financial institution, but the user has an app interface that allows them to control how they use their data, where their data is used, see where their data is used and get value. And one of the core value propositions we found across our platform was the consumer wants to understand their finances more so as they can try and chart their way or navigate their way to financial health or wellness using credit and then later more sophisticated products to accumulate that wealth. The financial institutions want to, want to use that data to identify the best or new customer segments to grow into and expand to increase their, their bottom line. Uh, and really for us, putting the customer at the center of that creates a lot more transparency. We believe it's gonna open up more efficient markets uh, and ultimately lead to a world where we see that when people create their own data profiles, we can they can opt in to monetize that. So in the way that data is monetized for analytics or third party purposes, if a user has a ping me profile, they may well be able to, you know, opt into a program where they can end, where they can earn apologies, um, some sort of reward or income for their data profile that's being used elsewhere. So we have a really big vision with being data centric at the core. And that's the idea of having a self-sovereign identity that the user owns and they can use it to access products or indeed in the future monetize it. So it really interesting. Also, can you talk about um, what was behind your plans to expand into Europe? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Why not just one focus that, on Africa? Yeah, no, that's great. One, one thing that we've really seen over the last sort of 12 months with, I mean, it's nine months really with COVID, has been very much this widening of the gap between underserved individuals who struggle to access finance and the capital that's flowing into the economy to alleviate liquidity constraints. And, you know, the money printers are, are whirring away, injecting stimulus. Now, Within that ecosystem, there is a layer of individuals that are unable to access credit through that. And the demand for credit products for that segment is incredibly high. I, I cannot understate 
the demand there. It's pretty obvious that the demand there. And there is a, a, a large swathe of capital that is on the sidelines looking to be deployed and get yield. We bridge that gap between that capital and the individual by making that risk transparent. And it may well be, for example, from my perspective, I'm still credit invisible in the US. Been here for four years. I still couldn't go out and get a mortgage because I don't really have the right credit age. I'm not sort of up in that six to seven year credit age bracket and I don't have a, you know, established credit holder to add me to their credit card here as an adult and not having family here. So there is a, you know, like I said, there's 135 million people in the US. I don't know the exact number in, um, uh, in Europe off the top of my head, but there is just, you know, a lot of demand both for people to own and understand their financial identity and then use that to leverage the best access they can to products. And we're, we're seeing a lot of inbound interest from financial institutions, both in Canada, the US and Europe, looking to try and figure out ways that they can serve this segment at low risk and, you know, access, un, access that untapped market right now. Mm-hmm. I want to end our conversation on sort of a look forward. Um, and maybe we can we can do two things, uh, you know, a look forward to what African financial services will look like. And I know the story is bigger than Africa now, um, but uh, also where Pingme will be and, you know, your vision, you talked a little bit about, you know, sort of rewarding people for sharing their data um, or turning it into some type of asset. Um, yeah. Can you talk about, I guess, the future for the, for the firm and, and as you're looking out into the next year or two? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we're, we're in this phase at the moment where we've just started working with quite a few significant banks and a couple of global credit bureaus at the moment that's focused on Africa. But we really see those opportunities growing into a, a global um, footprint over the next 12 months. So leapfrogging out of uh, these markets into secondary markets where some of our banks and customers at the moment, including these larger credit bureaus, do operate. So we see that as a really, really interesting opportunity for scale. Um, on the technology side, you know, really we're processing around 10 to 15 million data points a week at the moment. We expect to see that scale pretty exponentially, uh, which is going to lead to the creation of some really interesting um, technology, which we're pretty excited about, especially on the dis- distributed computing side. But more so, one thing that's really developing and evolving in the blockchain space right now is decentralized finance. You'll see a huge narrative and early grassroots movement for DeFi. Um, We see there's a big opportunity to cater for that DeFi space, where at the moment, most of the lending in there is using collateral, like a cryptocurrency asset to collateralize um, uh, the loan. There's this notion of being under collateralized in the space. And we see a very strong fit with our platform where we'll be able to provide both KYC and transparency and like identification information plus risk assessment for these DeFi platforms, which should lead to a massive opening up of that space, a really big opening up of yield and opportunity for accessing credit. So for us, really, the next year is about scaling our technology, um, looking forward to what would be our Series A round uh, in sort of the new year. Um, and then more broadly, really rolling out our um, services to other, other verticals where we can uh, continue to serve this large, large segment of you know, credit invisible underserved uh, individuals and, and give them more information. And overall, like our brand narrative is helping people navigate their way to uh, financial wellness or, or financial um, success and really driving that forward with as many opportunities to access the best credit possible or the best financial products possible. 
Brendan, I really appreciate you sharing your vision uh, for Ping Me uh, with us as well as your energy. So thanks for joining us on the Tertiary Podcast. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Zach.